This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And your time. Put all my hands together. Yeah, ha, yeah, ha. This is what I'm talking about, y'all. It's hip hop. 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 The stories of hip hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who, inside of them, the words are coming. The words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better. And ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. Hi everyone, I'm Kay Valentine, <laughs> the cutie from Chicago, that's what I call myself. Um, I'm born and raised in Chicago, I'm a hip-hop artist. The first song is going to be Tupac, Keep Your Head Up. The reason I picked this song is because it's, it's inspirational. I like that it speaks to women, specifically the women in the hood. And Tupac, you know, he was very attractive. And I was a huge fan, you know, so that's how I picked it. I think that this is the first, this is the first Tupac song, because I was a fan of all of his music, but this was the one that I was able to really identify with. This is the first one that I remember playing it, pausing writing down the lyrics, then playing it again, writing down the lyrics. It was just that special to me. The other songs had, um, this was one of his that, I don't think it had any profanity in it. So I was allowed to listen to it. It like has sentimental value in a way. I was a little girl. I was somewhere on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> I think one of my mom's boyfriends was playing it, and that's how I heard it. I feel like I was one of his biggest fans, you know, but I'm sure it's more fan, you know, more passionate than I am about him. But he also started like me. He was a poet first. And that's how I started, not trying to emulate him. It just kind of happened that way. When I would be emotional, either angry or sad with my parents or whatever, I would write poems and it just like, transitioned into music. I love the video. I remember him having a little girl around his, like she was sitting on his shoulders. And he was kind of holding her. I wish that was me. <laughs> and Jada Pinkett, you know, she was in there and they went to school together and they had, they were like each other's first loves and they remained friends throughout the years and everything. And I didn't know that was Jada Pinkett, you know, when I first saw it, but now when you look back, I'm like, oh, that was, that was Jada. Yeah, it was just dope.
that was the first song of his kind, I think, that I'm aware of. Uh, before that, I didn't really hear any song with men in hip-hop, really uplifting single parents. And he was raised by a single parent. And he was very vocal about that. The hip-hop artists before him, not that I really listened to him, but I don't remember any of the Tupac seemed to me to be very, you could tell he was raised by a woman. And if you listen to, or if you view some of his older interviews, he had this, he was in touch with his feminist side, you know what I mean? And after he began rapping, he got a little bit more hardcore, but that was the first song I had ever heard like that. And it reminded me of some of the things my own mother had experienced. I hadn't experienced anything like that personally because I was such, I was a kid, but I was just like, wow, this is good that somebody's, he was telling, you know, keep your head up. And he was speaking on man, black man, you know, for a black man to be honest and say, hey, this is how some of us are. But in spite, keep your head up. I thought that was dope. She had street credibility, but he also, and then he had the political connects. You know, he was able to adapt. I saw footage of him speaking to, I think it was like six and seven graders, and he broke down his, it was that verse, keep your head up. He did an acapella. He was just kind of trying to explain to them what he meant. And the fact that you could be signed to death row you know, be doing all this, but then you can, whatever element he was put in, he was able to gracefully adapt to it. You try to plant something in the concrete, you know what I mean? If it grow, and the, and the rose petal got all kind of scratches and marks, you're not going to say, damn, look at all the scratches and marks on the rose that grew from the concrete. You're going to be like, damn, a rose grew from the concrete? Same thing with me, you know what I mean? I grew out of all this instead of saying, damn, he did this, he did this, just like, damn, he grew out of that, he came out of that. He was, to me, he was like the voice for the black community, in a sense. I mean, of course, he didn't represent everyone, but a great majority of us he did because poverty, police brutality, all the stuff that's really going on today. If you look up his old interviews, he speaks like he's here now. And I don't know, he was just... Uh, the rose that grew from concrete is that's like the perfect perfect expression to describe him because he was so educated and so talented but he couldn't help being born into poverty you know what i mean that's not a choice that you make as a newborn he was able to articulate what was going on with the drugs he represented a lot of aspects of the black community the talented kid, the smart kid, the thug, the drug dealer, the boy who was raised by a single parent, the boy without his daddy. So I think that's why he was able to capture not only the world, but the black community because she could relate to him, I could relate to him, he could relate to him, you know what I mean? Long live the rose that grew from concrete when no one else even cared. Um, raised by a single parent, father was murdered shot over 30 times. Actually, he was on his way to pick me and my sister up and it was the day before Halloween. And he and my mother were not together, but they were, you know, co-parents trying. He was 
supposed to get us early in the day. For some reason, he came very late, and my mother was like, you know, they're in their pajamas now. Come back and get them tomorrow. On his way back, he was murdered. So yeah, we grew up on the South Side. We moved around a lot, you know, but my mother did the best that she could do. Great woman, hardworking, beautiful, intelligent, crazy. <laughs> I have six siblings. And it's funny because Talib in Ninth Wonder, they dropped a, a album called Indy 500. And I'm on a record called These Waters and I open it up like, I gotta split this honey bun in four ways. No heat because the gas is off. It's going on four days. And I have had to split a honey bun in four ways before. You know, that was true. I know how it feels. That's another reason I'm able to connect with Pac. I know what it feels to be like to grow up in poverty. But on the flip side of that, my mother was very hardworking, so she was able to provide for us. But it wasn't always. She was a, a single, a young mother of six, so. My dad is actually from Jamaica. And they were each other's first love. He had came here, I guess, trying to, you know, looking for better opportunity. His mother had come here too, so he came. He was into music. He was into producing music. He was also a huge drug dealer. He was a part of the Jamaican Solid Gold Posse, which I think is a, like a very malicious gang in Jamaica. Around the time of his death, he was getting out of that. He was doing parties, producing music. He actually, he brought Shabba Ranks over to the U.S. He produced a song for Foxy Brown in her early career. So I guess that's where I get the music from, you know, the love for music. And my mother, um, she loves music too. She's the one who, because in my household, she played all types of music, like Alanis Morissette, Sarah McLaughlin. Like, I know we've listened to everything. And because of my mother, I'm so well-rounded musically. I don't know where my mom actually actually Because at the time of his death, I was young and I didn't get that much detail. I knew he was murdered. But I guess when I was old enough to understand, because I think I, I started asking questions because I wanted to know like exactly why. You know, why everybody had their father and I didn't have mine. And she told me the truth. You know, it was things that I didn't know he was involved in, you know. Probably once I hit grammar school, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I have good memories of him, but I didn't because my mother kept us shielded you know we didn't even go to the funeral because she didn't want us to have that picture of him stuck in our heads because she did see footage and she said he did not even look you know you know so she kept us you know we was away from that side of the family for a while after that 
Put the hood in my cloud, you can't have it. No curfews for goddess bandits. This is the world I've been handed. Motherships and cutlass supremes landed. Not a fan of bandwidth. I communicate with ancient Sanskrit. Use the lead to write the life I was dealt with. Always number two to you. I wrote a poem called Tell Me. And I was to my mother because she, I had went to her to speak to her, speak to her about having a boyfriend and, you know, kind of like birds and the bees because <laughs> she had always told me that you know when you when you're thinking about sex you can always come to me and everything so in my mind I was like okay well when I'm ready I'm gonna talk to her because all my friends was doing it and everything so I went to her and she freaked out and I was I wasn't active in anything I just was curious she was took my phone put me on punishment everything and so I went in the room and wrote a poem about her called Tell Me, and then I read it to her. And she took me, I punished her. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, definitely, I'm like, wow. So writing poems can get you off punishment. It made me want to write them even more. And she, um, I remember her calling up my play aunt, and I heard her in the next room, girl, Keisha wrote this, you know what I mean? And I, I was just like, wow. Cause I didn't think it was as nice as what she made it seem, but yeah, I, I continue writing. I lived in Minneapolis for a couple years. I did high school there, and then we came back here. We, my mom decided she wanted to go and get a fresh start. We had had some an unforeseen occurrence. And you know how you just gotta pick up and go? I just picked up and left. I'm grateful now, looking back at it from my experience there because going to Minneapolis, I feel like that helped me to be just more well-rounded, period. Because before going there, there weren't any European Americans in my classroom. Uh -huh. You know, I had no interactions with them. Just pretty much on TV, you know? <laughs> But there is so like, it's like a melting pot, you know? And that was my first time ever seeing a Somalian. Because when we got there the same day, I, we had to go through St. Paul to get to Minneapolis. And I saw, I saw a Somalian, you know, they had the head stuff and all of that, the women. And then I saw another one. I'm like, mom, that girl looks just like that one. You know, I had never seen. And it allowed me to be around the gay community. Cause I was, I just was never around that. So I was just introduced to, it was good to be around something different. And, and I also felt like up there, it was a lot of interracial couples. You didn't really see that on the South side of Chicago, but there it was like everywhere, you know? And so I'm a kid and I'm just looking like, hey, wow, she's dating him. She's, you know, it was, <laughs> but it was, it was in my classroom, I had, European Americans, I had Indians, I had Somalians, I had Africans. It was the ideal classroom that you would want. Sure, the next song is Tell Him by Lauren Hill from the Miss education of Lauren Hill. This song, oh my gosh. I don't know, I love this song. I think she is talking about God. I'm not sure. 
because I don't think she's ever stated it. But if you listen to this, I think she's talking about God and how she describes the way that she wants to be. That's how I want to be as a woman. She said, make me unselfish without being blind. Like, And she said, though I may struggle, I'll envy it not and endure what comes because he's all that I got and tell him that I need him. The, my relationship with my creator is strong, you know, and I'm able to identify with how she feels and where she's trying to go because we all have flaws. We all get a little crazy, but just bettering myself you know i want to be like how she describes her future self in that song my mom had that album and I don't know, I think one day <laughs> she woke me up. I knew when she, on the weekends, when I heard loud music, I'm like, damn, she finna wake us up to clean up. And so she was playing it and we were cleaning. And cause it's like, almost like it's a, I don't know if it's a bonus track, like on the CD, I think you have to, I don't think it's a number for that, for tell him. But I remember that she let it play all the way through. And I heard that song like, Mom, did you know this song was on here? She was like, nope. And that's how I heard it, by accident. <laughs> and I mean, I fell in love with it. Like, so yeah, I was, I was somewhere cleaning up my dirty room when I heard it. We didn't really have a home church. We did used to, um, <laughs> just like we moved around, we moved around the church. You know, we used to visit sometimes, um, but I have a praying mother, and my my grandmother on my mother's side, she's a Jehovah Witness. Now that's a whole another thing. But what I do respect about that is that she she had a book she got from the Kingdom Hall. It was called The Great Teacher. She would study with us when when I was over there. My mom would study with us sometimes the Bible, read scriptures. Cause she knows some of them by heart. She used to let us know that. <laughs> but I don't remember having a church home as a child. I just remember going sometimes. Yeah, I think it, to me it was it was more direct, and I was able to directly relate to what she was saying. And I wouldn't even classify myself as religious, but just more spiritual and the song to me was honest it was her saying basically balance me out you know because you hear about people especially in the church oh you this but oh, you need to be like this i don't want to be too nice but i don't want to be mean either you get what i'm saying she said make me unselfish without being blind and i was just like she just took the words out of my mouth she was able to put what i felt I want it for myself. She was able to put it in words. What I would say is up until, like before hearing that song, I knew that I was really nice. I knew I was a really nice person, 
And I knew I was too nice because I, I would always feel that people kind of took advantage of me. And I felt that the type of person I was, I would let it build up. Like somebody, it was almost like I was a doormat in a sense. And I would let it build up. But then when I snapped off on you, it was like, rah, this monster. And I knew I didn't want to be like that. You know what I'm saying? Because once I get taken to that point, it was like the point of no return. So I was aware of that. That's all I could tell you. I just knew that. And so that's why that line kind of stuck with me because I wanted to remain nice. I wanted to remain sweet, but not have people walk on me, you know, walk all on me. It was more just like dealing with peers and in, in, in school and, you know, I felt like, and making friends, I felt like I was taken advantage of. Like, <laughs> i give you an incident and it had to do with food. I was in school. I don't even remember what grade. And my mother had gave me a pack of M&Ms or Goobers. And I remember showing this girl, and I'll never forget her name. Her name is Angela, because she stole my fucking candy. I showed her, because I was going to share with her. I was, whoever was around me, I always offer. Do you know she went in my book bag and stole my candy? And as, as petty as that seemed, that hurt. I cried and everything. And then I told my mother, she said, <laughs> That's what you get for sure. <laughs> so I thought she was gonna sympathize with me, and then she didn't. She didn't do it at all, and that was. I was like, okay. That was like one of my first real lessons. Like, you can't trust everybody. You gotta keep some things to yourself, you know. And you can't be so nice because people, like the fact that she thought it was okay to go into Kate Valentine's book bag. I wasn't Kate Valentine then, and steal my candy. So yeah, and so at that young age, it was just minor things like that, but I still felt it like, this ain't right. People just be acting like I'm not gonna pop off. When I pop off, I just popped off. I mean, in grammar school, using profanity, and my mama didn't know, but you know, I felt like I would get picked on, you know, sometimes, and people just like, oh, she the quiet, cause I was really quiet. Quiet, just a nice girl, you know, good grades, focused. And people do just pick on you for no reason sometimes, just to see, you know, even the little boys, now looking back on it, maybe they had a little crush, but it didn't seem that way. Then, cause I'm like, if you like me, you would be acting nice. They used to be rude, uh, doing all type of stuff. And I was little. I just remember rhyming words and you know my favorite books were um Dr. Seuss. Cause I'm like, man, that's dope. He rhymes words. <laughs> you know, I th <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like when you learn to read and, and those are the books I gravitated toward because I'm like, it's fun. It's like I was always anticipating or trying to guess, oh, what the next word is about to be that rhymes with that and then I think my first poem, even though I, I said I, it was usually when I was angry, man, I think it was a love poem. Cause I had fell in love in like third grade. <laughs> he didn't like me. <laughs> but I wrote a poem about him and how he, you know, hurt my heart. I think just from there, just different experiences. And then, you know, when I 
they get angry or things will happen in the family or I saw my mom get her heart broken, I would write a poem as if it was her. Then she had a miscarriage at one point, I wrote a poem about that as if the baby had was speaking to her. So I used, used to read them to my mom, but never in front of anybody else. I was always into the arts, and I was in a dance group. I had the opportunity to dance at the Apollo Theater in Harlem with my dance group. So that was the first time I was ever on stage, and it was for dancing. It wasn't even for my poetry or music. And that was probably, I was like 13 and 14 at that time. And so that kind of helped me get over stage fright, because when I did start, reciting poetry. I think I first did it at a school talent show. And then it was a long while. I took a long break because we were moving around. I didn't do it for a while. And then when we moved back to Chicago, I was at a school event and the DJ that was DJing the party, I was talking to him. I was like, man, I want to get you to, because I had this idea of having a party and having a DJ. I was like, man, how much would you charge? And so we started talking and I told him that I did poetry and everything, and then he was like, oh, well, I DJ at this spoken word event. You know, you should come out sometime. He gave me the fire and everything. So I told my mom, and we went. That's how I got back into it. I started doing spoken word, and that was an event that was held like every week. It was at the Negro League. The Negro League Cafe. It was on like 43rd and Prairie. I think it's closed down now. Yeah, they were sneaking me in, but I was cool with the with the yeah. DJ, so so I would go every week. Sometimes I wouldn't even recite poetry. I would just go just to listen and just hearing all those other artists. I'm like, oh, I got work to do because they were deep, deep, deep into it, like you know, changing their voices and everything. <laughs> Motives and thoughts, rotating bodies, confusion of sound. Negative imagery holding us down. Social delusion, clearly constructed. Human condition, morals corrupted. Trapped in reaction, lawlessness, war. Dissatisfaction from bowels to core. Devil's technology, strategy for. Human mythologies, urban folklore. Sick of psychology, counterfeit cure. Wicked theology, robbing the poor. And I also had the opportunity to meet my Dr. Maya Angelou. That experience was, was odd, but I hold it dear to my heart now since she's passed. But she told me to, you know, just keep writing, keep going. And my mother had went to college at College of St. Catherine in Minnesota. I had the opportunity when I was in high school to kind of shadow, you know, have a, a shadow. She wanted me to go there. So I contacted the counselors and everything, and I told them what I was interested in, which was actually like fashion design. And I told them I also did spoken word, like wanted to be a poet. And one of the ladies just kind of took me under her wing and she was like, okay, Maya Angelou is going to be a guest speaker here on such and such date. You should come and join. And I was like, okay, I would love to. And so I came, I sat, and I was just in awe of like, because you hear about Maya Angelou 
But I didn't really know. I mean, she had all these different degrees. I mean, lady was amazing. And so I watched her and I was just like, I have to meet this lady, like exchange some type of personal interaction with her. And so the counselor made it possible, got me backstage. And as soon as I saw I was like, oh my gosh, my angel. She said, <laughs> and she had a, a heavy voice. She said, what did you call me? And so I'm just like, uh, I said, Maya Angelo. <laughs> she said, it's Dr. Angelo. I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. So I said, well, I've been writing poetry. You know, I look up to you. You're a mentor to me, even though you, you don't know it. I would like to read some of my poetry to you, if you don't mind. And she looked at me. She said, no. I said, why not? And she was like, <laughs> she said, you wouldn't be showing any respect for yourself, me, or the art. I said, why you say that? And she said, she did her hand. She said, look around the room. It's people taking photos. Like she started pointing out all this. And it was a lot of stuff going on, but I was so focused on her. I didn't, she said, I wouldn't be giving you my undivided attention. I was like, okay, okay. She was like, but, and then she called her um, assistant over. Give her my information. Give her my business card. She said, I want you to send me two pieces of your best work. She said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to look out for you. I was like, okay, cool, cool. So, you know, I hugged her and that's how it ended. So, But she told me, she said, whatever you do, keep writing. And so I took that and I sent two of my best poems to her. And then I got a letter back saying that. She couldn't read them because she was currently being sued by another poet who said she stole their work or something. So it was just this letter that I'm just like, okay, well, why did she tell me to send? You know, I was younger, so. But it's still an opportunity that a lot of people never got to, you know what I mean? After that experience, people would ask me, so how was it? I'm like, it was cool, but she was kind of rude. But now, I get what she was saying. The level that I respect my artistry now and my peers, that's the level she respected. You know what I mean? I get it now. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop So the next song is Eminem, uh, Lose Yourself. From the soundtrack of 8 Mile, the 8 Mile soundtrack. This song and Eminem, I love Eminem. If you notice, don't no hip hop artists start no beef with Eminem. Eminem will kill lyrically. But when I saw that movie and I heard that song, it just made me like, I wasn't even rapping back then. <laughs> but it just made, it just stirred something in me. Like you get one moment and to hear him and where he came from and to see his growth at that time, I was like, if he could do it, I could do it. Cause we was both poor, but I didn't live in a trailer. So that was just like confirmation. Even though I know, you know, you told, follow your dreams, you could do any. But when you see people who you can really identify with, make it, you be like, damn, it could really happen. And that song, just him 
even speaking about how he was nervous, like his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on the sweater already. I'm just like, I know how I feel, you know what I mean? Be scared, you know, and be nervous. And But I love how, even in that movie, that's one of my favorite movies, that song that actually happens in the movie, you know, when he get stage fright and everything. But when he comes back at the end and kills, I mean, that I felt like he was my husband or something. I was so proud. I love Tupac and Eminem, just them two husbands. And I mean, that's like a, a song that can be the soundtrack, on the soundtrack to your life. You know, that's a very powerful, inspirational song. And it don't matter what time you play that, you know, what time in your life, it's just, it's powerful. Cause it's basically like, lose yourself in the moment, you own it. Don't you ever let it go. You only get one shot, do not miss your chance to blow cause opportunity comes once in a lifetime. That's the truth. I didn't do anything. I just learned the lyrics. <laughs> that was another one where I play it as, you know, cause that was before, like, I don't, I don't think I had a computer, so you couldn't look up lyrics, but I wrote them all down and, and I knew, I used to rap that song to anybody that would listen. I wasn't rapping my own at the time, but yeah, that was one of those songs that, I mean, I held him with Tupac. I used to think it was nobody that could touch Tupac. The Eminem came, you know, and, and I like both of them. And I love the song that they had together, you know, that Eminem put him on. I love that song. Yeah, I don't know, it didn't make me really do anything. It just made me conscious that I could do anything. I like a woman with a future and a past. A little attitude prop all good, it'll make the shit last. Don't make it too easy, girl, don't take it too fast. Yeah, that's it right there, that's it, do it just like that. Only you could do it just like that and I love it when your hair still wet cuz you just took a shower running on a treadmill on the inside Okay the last song is Drake Make Me Proud Make Me Proud is That made me It made me proud when I heard that song and it made me want to eat salad You know he talked about the girl who is focused who's on her business who's eating salad who's running on the treadmill working out you know, he's talking about the woman that's health conscious and, and business minded. And all the things that I am. <laughs> yeah, it makes you want to work out. It just makes you want to be at the top of your game, like as a woman. Still love the song, because I love the hook. I know things get hard, but girl, you got it, girl. You got it. There you go. Can't you tell me how they look? You know, it's just a confidence booster. And it's like, you got it, girl. Like, the fact that he even thought to say some of the things he said. Tupac made me fall in love with hip-hop. Drake made me want to do hip-hop. It was like a rebirth because Tupac had passed and I st he still lives on, but Drake was like a, a breath of fresh air. And he didn't give it to you as aggressively as Tupac did, presented certain things, but you could tell Drake was raised by a single parent like Tupac was because they have these perspectives 
that only a man raised by a single parent would have. Like he said, <laughs> running on a treadmill and only eating salad. Sounds so smart like you graduated college. Weekend in Miami, studied by the pool, couple things do, but you always get it done. Might have been a time where I loved her too, but you take that away and you always been a one. <laughs> he think about stuff that females would think about. I'm like, no, he didn't. Yeah, Drake was just, he delivered the message differently to me. He delivered it in a way I think I would think to say something. When I heard him, because before Drake came out, it was you had Wayne, you had you had all your you know the same rappers that's been out, but nobody was touching on heartbreak. Nobody was making love songs. Nobody was talking about family issues. It was about money, bitches, guns, hoes, drugs. The same stuff, you know what I'm saying? Nobody was hitting on those real every day, you know, cause I could listen to a song about you balling out of control, making it rain, but I can't relate to that. I can't make it rain right now, you know what I'm saying? But when I hear you rapping about having your heart broken, or a girl that did you wrong, or a girl that cheated on her, or you cheating on a girl, or your mom, what she's dealing with, I'm like, oh wow. He was the first rapper to come around a long time that I was able to relate to. The perspective that he rapped from, that's the perspective I wrote poetry from. So I'm like, wow, the stuff I be writing poems about, he turned it into a song and rapped about it. Cause I used to write poems about being angry, being sad, being heartbroken. So I'm like, if he can do it, cause poetry is nothing but Rap is no rhythm and poetry, you know what I mean? So all I needed to do was just change the structure a little bit of my poems, add a beat, and those were songs. So it wasn't a hard transition. It wasn't challenging at all. It was just like, okay, let me try to put this to a beat. Let me try to, and it just came. She don't need consent, she ain't acting up. She got on denim jeans with some ass in them. She ain't oppressed at all, she ain't setting hoes. Cause she's overseas doing London shows. She don't fit nobody, she's too shy town. This being in the rap game is not easy at all. Cause I'm a woman. I'm a woman first and foremost. And first thing is you looked at like, <laughs> they either don't take you serious or they don't take you serious and try to fuck you. And with a lot of women and not to even judge them because some people feel like they don't have enough talent or they feel like that's the only way out but me i have a, a it's a song that i wrote and i say something about how never been a spot that i would suck or i would lay for because i believe in god i will not fuck for what i pray for and the reason i said that is because i i rather put in the hard work i believe in myself enough to know that I don't gotta do this, I don't gotta do that to get there because ultimately if I keep going, I'ma get there. And I won't be ashamed. I won't feel like I compromised my morals, myself as a woman, you know, and I'll be able to honestly speak to other women, up and comers and tell them, you know, you can do this the legit way, you know what I mean? It might be a little harder. So yeah, it's harder being a female, I think it's, it's also 
because you, you got to deal with the sexual aspect. You got to deal. I learn. I've been learning a lot, though. Like, I know how to nicely reject man now. You know, because first it used to be like, no, no. Now it's like, oh, I'm flattered, but I'm, I have a boyfriend. Yeah, but I'm single because they will get mad. Rejection is a motherfucker. They'll try to not invite you to certain shows, not have you perform, try to, you know, black bar you, just all type of stuff just because you said no and they not used to hearing that. It's just awesome. Though. But I'm just gonna keep making music and keep working and keep going. It's just crazy because it's so many talented women out here, but they can't even get the, the doors open for whatever. And it's men controlling it. It's only one woman shining right now because of men. This is a male-dominated industry. This is why it's so important to be true to yourself because everybody will be pulling you every, everywhere. Like I've been told, you need to be freakier. You need to talk more shit. You need to be more Lil' Kim. And I, I'm versatile. I can make a thought-provoking song. I can make a freaky song. And somebody hear my freaky song, they're like, you nasty as hell. You need to be, you know what I mean? And it's just like, and one, one day, <laughs> it's this DJ, this Chicago DJ. He told me, he said, you sound like you trying to be like a female Nas. Don't nobody want to hear that shit. And my feelings were so hurt. I didn't show him that. But I was just like, wow, you can't win for losing. You offer something conscious. You know, they're like, oh, don't nobody want to hear that. We want to hear the club. And you do something provocative, then it's like, you a hoe? You, you know what I mean? And then the question that I do not like is, what lane are you in? What is your sound? Who would you compare yourself to? I compare myself to myself. I'm not in a lane. I am a woman. We are, it's so many different facets to a woman. We so emotional. You know what I mean? I could wake up one day and write a song about uplifting women. The next day I could write a song about bitches. I could write a song about struggle. I could write a song about spending money. You know what I mean? It's like you can't put me in one box. Tupac was able to do Keep Your Head Up. He also did Wonder Why We Called You Bitch. He also did I Get Around. Picture Me Rolling. You know, he, he did so many different things and he, was not, he wasn't questioned. What lane are you in, Pac? He would have he snapped, I think. But it's like, I get that question all the time. And it's just like, if I have to be in a box, if I have to be in a lane, then you decide. Don't ask Hip-hop matters because hip-hop, unlike any other genre of music, we can say what we want. You know, you have to be politically correct in a lot of songs, R&B songs, don't you? But in hip-hop, you can talk about whatever you want, however you want. You can use as much profanity as you want. So you can get the, you're able to get the message across to anybody, your hood people, the people over there, your class, you can get it. Um, it's very influential. Like hip hop has touched a lot of different genres. You, you see it kind of combining or you seeing people kind of, the still a, the hip hop style r rubbing off. And I think that's what makes hip hop important too because it's worldwide influence, you know?
So if, especially if you're spreading a message, you know, a valuable one, it's gonna get across. And hip hop is the voice. It all started in the ghetto. You know what I mean? So that's it's still the heart, you know, of the ghetto. That's how we get out our dreams.